Hey mom friend, have you ever had a question or a few during your pregnancy that you wish you would have known the answer to or wish you would have known before getting pregnant or just about heading into birth that you wish that you would have asked someone who has both had the knowledge and the experience to help you get more clarity and confidence to make an informed decision? Well, that is what our friend Hannah Tickle is doing for us today. Hannah is currently a mother of one with a previous cesarean and took advantage of my free question and answer one hour private coaching session. And her question was, looking at baby number two and very anxious about the classical cesarean and worried I won't find a doctor who will let me try natural and that will mess with risk for baby number three. Wondering if midwives in Texas can legally take on a classical finding a good midwife, deciding on a birth center or hospital, if not, etc. Also nervous since it's been so long since my first child. And even though I've handled a lot of the physical issues that led to problems with my first pregnancy, I'm still nervous because it was a very hard pregnancy. In this episode, you will hear my answers to those questions. If you're just like Hannah here and are wanting to receive an answer that is specific to you and your situation and would like to participate in this free private coaching session, please email me at cbecoaching at simplifiedbirthandmotherhood.com for more details and to reserve your spot today. Okay, without further ado, let's get inside and hear what we have to say about this. Hey mama, welcome to Simplify Birth and Motherhood. I am Amanda. I am a wife and mom of four. I have had a hospital birth, unexpected C-section, a few home births, and now I am a birth advocate, childbirth educator, and your cheerleader in the toughest hood of them all, motherhood. Do you wish you knew what options were available to you when becoming a new mom or adding more to the mix? Are you ready to nurture and build up your mom gut so you can be more confident, educated, and bold? In this podcast, you will begin to understand, find support, and turn knowledge into power through education and resources for pregnancy, childbirth, postpartum, and for the early years of motherhood. If you are ready to get clarity to empower your birth and motherhood journey, then throw up your unbrushed hair, hike up your high-waisted pants because, sister, (laughs) I know you are wearing them. Put the baby in the ergo and let's start feeding our God-given mom guts. See you inside. Okay, so a lot to unpack here. Okay, Hannah, why don't you kind of explain to us what, because part of your question involves a little bit about what happened in your previous pregnancy and why you are asking this question one in the first place but two why there is a general a general concern when it comes to any time you are planning to have any more kids after have a cesarean uh, why this is a concern so if you can explain to us a little bit about um, what happened um, maybe not in too much detail but um, you know just kind of give us a little bit of an idea a little background if you could yeah so um, like the pregnancy itself was challenging enough, um, but it was supposed to be a home birth with a midwife. And on the due date, um, she just kind of came to us and was like, you know, I've like, I've been praying about this delivery. I'm just feeling like we need to be close to the hospital. And, and I think she thought that he was going to be really big um, and, and that ended up not being an issue, but there was just, the midwife was having some disquiet. And so thankfully we did end up, um, staying at another midwife's house really close to the hospital. Um, I went into very hard and fast labor, which, um, is pretty normal in our family. Um, it just hit hard and fast. I was having like contraction upon contraction, like nonstop. Um, but she couldn't find his heartbeat at one point. We were transferred to the hospital again, ended up not being a concern at all. Um, his heartbeat was fine. The doctor found it right away, but thankfully she had had the wisdom to, to have us try and deliver really close to a good hospital with a good doctor. Um, so after about four hours of labor, uh, I went into transition and then, um, and honestly, that first four hours was also a lot. I mean, it was, it was pretty intense those first few stages, but 
once I was in transition, um, that was another four hours and the doctor just kept checking and he was like, okay, something's wrong because you are pushing hard enough. Like this baby should be out by now. This baby should have been out three hours ago based on how you're pushing, like something's going on. And, um, it turned out that, um, like he, he was basically just face first. So when my child was born, like, um, he, it, he'd just been in a boxing match with my pelvis, like every push and, um, his upper lip, they actually thought that he might have a tumor cause it was so swollen. His head was like the weirdest, weirdest shape because, and it was just all black and blue. Um, so yeah, I ended up having to have a cesarean, but unfortunately it wasn't a standard cesarean. And so, yeah, that's kind of what went down with all of that. Yeah. So when you mean by standard, that means the incision or what, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like our normal, what we see today with the horizontal Uh, on the outside, it's horizontal. So it's, it, it looks like it's on my bikini line, but internally it's an upper vertical classical cesarean, I guess you call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so recovery was pretty intense. Um, it was just a lot of pain in two different places, <laughs> different spot inside than on the outside. Um, and yeah, so I guess he was just stuck in the wrong position and, and they just could not get him out um, naturally. Okay. So for those who are not sure what a classical incision is, it's when the incision on the uterus is made, like Hannah explained, vertically. So it goes from bottom, top to bottom. We're, and that's actually really not common today. Um, they started training obstetricians back into the 50s of doing this bikini cut. And um, it's really, it's very, very rare that a lot of doctors do this. And it's actually very surprising to hear that even modern day doctors do it for other reasons besides sometimes they do this classical incision. If the baby is preterm, the baby was transverse, which means the baby was trying to come out sideways, which can't birth a baby sideways, (laughs) or there's placenta previa, or there in this case sounds like that there was a surgery style of the OB who performed the surgery, which in my opinion is not a very good style. So there are so many different forms of incision and what matters is one that is done on the actual uterine muscle. So like you explained, Hannah, you said that, you know, you have an incision that is outside you know, uh, horizontal, but inside it's vertical. And that's what really matters because this has still has to do with a lot of the fact that the uterine muscle is doing a lot of work and to get Mm -hmm. baby out and down. I mean, your uterus from top to bottom, it's pushing down on top from the fundus and it's opening down at the bottom at the cervix. I mean, it's doing a lot of work. And so depending on how far that incision actually goes up and where it's located determines if the uterus will handle labor well or hold up during labor. And sometimes what they call this, your incision, Hannah, is some, they call it either a T or a J. So what they do is like, it's the incision, it's the outside incision, but this incision on the inside is cut. Like it almost looks like a T. If you look at it from like the anatomy standpoint, it looks like an upside down T or some people call it a J. And when you talk with doctors about the possibility of a VBAC, because you are considering one, there are a few variables that have to be considered. As you know, one of the big ones is the incision. That's kind of one of the probably top priority when it comes to cesarean, but others is like what happened in your previous birth? Um, like what caused the cesarean? So if it was such as the baby's position, well, from what we know from your story, you know, your son, he came out face first. That is really hard and challenging Mm -hmm. to get baby. I mean, he's, they're coming out face first. That's not fun. That's not pleasant. And that's a lot of work that your body is doing. Or Mm -hmm. another option or another way that they consider is like, okay, let's look back at your records. Okay. Failure to progress or even factors like preeclampsia. So what they look at is 
when they consider you as a candidate, they look to see if there are any, they don't consider re like nothing that's reoccurring pretty much because yeah. why? Because pregnancy, every pregnancy is different. You know, like just because your baby was came out um, breached doesn't mean that they're going to come out breached again, like your other baby or because it took you a long time to go through this labor doesn't necessarily mean that labor is going to take that long next time or even factors like preeclampsia. You cannot have preeclampsia again. You can only have it with your so many other births that you've had. So what they do is they look at that and that includes the moms. So for example, like if you have a, um, in my case, a uterine infection, that's non-reoccurring. So that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen again. So what they say is like, oh, well, if you, if your baby did this at this labor or at this birth, or if this happened, if they're not reoccurring, they'll be like, okay, yeah, we'll consider you a great candidate. But it is when things can possibly be reoccurring. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. when it comes to, when it comes to VBAC, no matter what everyone is considering, they are most worried about the risk. And you probably have heard that before, you know, there's a risk with this, a risk with that. And, and I tell this to people all the time is when you become a VBAC or a mom who's not a cesarean, there are so many other risks that you have to consider that nobody else Mm -hmm. has to consider ever, ever. And you have to consider it every single time you have a baby and what the risk is. And that's the number one risk. And the determining factor is the uterine rupture which is a Mm -hmm. very, very serious thing. It can cause fetal death, maternal death. It can cause hysterectomy. It can cause neurological damages. It can cause so many things, brain damage in babies. There's a lot of things that uterine rupture can do because it basically cuts off our oxygen supply and it causes severe hemorrhage. It's very, very serious when it does happen. Um, which means if you've had a cesarean, no matter how many VBACs you have, it's always a risk always. So even if you had one or two, it's VBAC, it's still going to be a risk. And sometimes, and although the risk is not heightened as the more that you have VBACs, it kind of lessens every single time. That doesn't necessarily mean that the risk is not there. So I think a good example is I know that um, you have heard my birth story before. I've had two VBACs, but this time I didn't. And so I've had multiple pregnancies. And for some reason with my situation, you know, it ended up being like that. And there are a lot of moms who fall into that category, but then there are moms who don't fall into that category. And because they end up having more VBACs and more v- this is not something that happens to them. So it doesn't, doesn't really, um, it doesn't really affect everybody the same. So meaning just because you've had a cesarean doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to have a rupture. It doesn't mean that. It also doesn't mean that just because you've had multiple VVACs doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It, that doesn't mean that either. And so, because the risk is always there and that is the concern and the studies show that uterine rupture is more severe with classical incisions. And again, this depends on where it's at too. So right now the rupture rate is as low as 1%, okay, 0.1%, up to about 9%. Even some studies say it's about up to 12%. And these percentages are based on studies that have been at multiple different periods of time. Like one was back in the 1920s up to about 2011. And some of them were done when classical incisions were actually common And these were some of the same studies that, you know, ACOG, American College of Gynecologists, referenced to when it comes to the safety of VBAC and the uterine scar integrity. And I know that this is, sometimes these studies are very biased because a lot of times these studies are based off of opinions. They're not necessarily based off of real facts or, and I feel like once your opinion gets into a study, it's really, really hard to not err on that like to encourage people to make that same conclusion because that's just your opinion and opinions aren't facts. Unfortunately, we may think they are, but they're not, you know, (laughs) opinions and facts are two different things. And so a lot of these studies are also based off of and have drawn conclusions based off of personal opinions. And so, but what I am telling you that it doesn't matter if you read 
them or not, they're actually missing one important key that has the potential to ask or answer your question and the answer that you're actually looking for. And that information tells us whether these in these studies are considered complete ruptures or the what they call dehiscences. And are you familiar with any a dehiscence at all and what that means? Is that when it's like stretched super thin, but not actually ruptured? Yeah. So <laughs> a full complete rupture is when a rupture happens when the tear goes through all the layers of the muscle, all of them, and it completely tears. Where the dehiscence only tears through a certain layer of the muscle and it creates what we call this window. And oftentimes it's not a medical emergency and people who attempt BVACs don't know that this is even happening. So Mm -hmm. we don't know how many women who are walking around with this window. We don't know. And we won't know until we go in there. And a lot of times we are electively going to go in there and be like, hey, I just had a baby vaginally. Like, let's just see the integrity of my uterine, like my uterine scar. Like, let's go in and look at it. Like, nobody's doing that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, if you are, you're insane. Because, I mean, it's just crazy to think that we just don't know. We don't know who's walking around with a dehiscence. And particularly people, and this is not to say that this is happening, but it's something that we have to like maybe entertain if people who have had um, VBACs or who haven't yet had a VBAC and actually do have a dehiscence, who do have it, because a lot of things can, can cause that. And this has to do with this has to do through coming through pregnancy um, and it can happen during labor. So it cannot be happening before you go into labor. It can happen while you are in labor, but it can also happen during your pregnancy because a uterine rupture can happen at any point at any time for anybody. It's not as common with first time moms. And it's also not as common with moms who have never had a major abdominal surgery. It's just more likely and more common with people like us who have had them and things that could cause that Pitocin weight. It could be your own weight. It could be baby's weight. It could be other medical interventions. It could be any of those things that can cause that. We just don't really know unless we go in there and we don't really know. Unfortunately, we can't look through ultrasound. The ultrasound does not give us an accurate picture of the integrity of our scar. Unfortunately, I wish it did. I wish it gave us like more of a, yes, 100%, you can do this. Or like, no, you're not going to be able to do this. I really wish we had something to be able to tell us that. But unfortunately, we don't really have a definitive um, idea or picture or something to tell us that this is, uh, the integrity of it is not that great, unfortunately. But- I do have another question. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Just another question about the studies that I, I, because when I do talk to a doctor about what my options are, I want to know what I'm talking about. With these studies, are they all, like all the ones that did rupture, are those first time VBAC or are those moms who doctors have said, you know, second, third, fourth pregnancy, forcing them to get cesareans and then it ruptures? You know, do, do the studies specify if it's after one cesarean or more? No, that's the problem with them. They don't, they don't specify and they actually don't specify how many of those ruptures were actually full and complete ruptures or how many of them were Mm -hmm. actually these dehiscences. None of them. And there's not enough people who have participated in that study who actually have classical incisions. And so that's why it's, that's why it's a little flawed because, and that's why it's really hard to get an answer that you want from those studies. And a lot of from, from what they quote, because a lot of them just don't have enough people. It doesn't clarify that. Yes, we had, you know, uh, 1100 moms and 84 of those moms had classical incisions. It doesn't specify. It just doesn't. It's just a study on those studies are just based off of is VBAC safe? Is the risk of uterine rupture, Mm -hmm. like what's the percentage of them? And, but it doesn't also clarify how many of those they're considering full complete ruptures or them call them actually these dehiscences. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's what's really tricky with these. 
but it really doesn't matter if you read them or not, because you should note that even with those studies, it's not to say that VBAC with classical incision is not possible. It's also mm-hmm. not to say that, no, this does not happen. Anybody who's done this before has died and never has lived to tell the tale. It's not that situation at all either, because there are women who have had that. Because we do have it right now, I think in particular, this influx of um, a lot of um, outside, you know, non, you know, people mm-hmm. coming into America and, you know, all these types of things. People, mm-hmm. these people are having babies. And there are studies that have shown particularly in these states that are these um, safe havens for these refugees and things like that, that they have shown that some of these women don't even know what type of scar that they have, but they're having mm-hmm. babies vaginally and they're successful. And it's not to say that through history that that hasn't happened either. So I think with this classical incision concern, I think automatically when we think it's risky, when this particular situation is to think that this is not possible because that's not, mm-hmm. that's not what's, that's not what we're saying here. And that's not what the studies are showing either, because there are women who have had vaginal births with a classical incision. It doesn't automatically like sign your, you know, your grave. It doesn't do that either. And so, because some of these women have, I mean, who, who knows and who knows the integrity of them? You know what I mean? Cause this whole bikini cut line, this, you know, aesthetically on the outside, but then on the inside, but some doctors just do the bikini line altogether. I mean, this is something that was introduced, like I said, in the fifties, women were having, I mean, babies before then, and some of them probably in cesareans and some of them probably had more kids after that. And so, mm-hmm. and probably through vaginal birth and here they are telling the tale that they did it, but it's not, these studies also don't show that it's impossible as well. Mm -hmm. So what really comes down to it is can you find a provider who is willing or comfortable being on your birth team (laughs) while you attempt this feedback with your incision? Mm -hmm. And we'll can actually, because sometimes time frame, time doctors sometimes look at the time frame between your previous one and the one that you're having now. And this is where the short interval of pregnancy sometimes is a concern for a lot of moms because Mm -hmm. they get pregnant shortly after and they want you to wait a certain period of time. The general rule is about 18 to 24 months, but a lot of times some of us don't wait that long to have more kids, not sometimes by accident, sometimes on purpose. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes they consider that as a contributing risk on top of the incision. Um, so see, it doesn't matter if you have an incision, like they always, it's always going to be a risk. There's always going to be something like, right. oh, well, your baby's too big. So this is the risk. There's always a risk when it comes to cesarean and VBAC because I mean, I feel like sometimes the research shows like, and the conclusions that some of these providers do is basically saying that VBAC is not safe at all. When that is not the truth, that VBAC is safe and it is actually considered an option for a lot of women. Um, And so it's, you just sometimes finding a provider who will do that is also very tricky because most doctors believe that with the classical incision, it's more dangerous to attempt a VBAC. But my recommendation is that if you are really interested in knowing what and who will take you on as a client and who will basically sit back and only intervene when it's necessary and let you, I hate using that term and let you, because nobody lets you do stuff like this, like (laughs) is you would have to just get a copy of your operative report. And then have them take a look at it and seeing what they think, because everybody can look at it and be like, hmm, okay, I'm willing to take this on. Like, okay, I'm skilled enough. I'm comfortable enough. I'm confident enough in my client, but as well as I'm confident in my judgments to be able to know that this is going to be okay or baby and mom are going to be okay. Because this also is the means by which you're going to get approval for this attempt on a doctor's side. And not to say Mm -hmm. an approval from like yourself or from your husband or from your doula or midwife or whoever's on your birth team. It's just the approval of a provider who will do it. And whether it's a hospital, birth center, or midwife, they all have to see the operative report. If you're not going to the same doctor, 
you have to get that operative report. It doesn't matter. And so they're going to look at it and they're going to be like, okay, this is what I saw what happened. This is what I'm thinking. And this is what I gained from this information. How does that in my practice and what I'm doing, how is that going to, how can I assist her in doing this? Or can, can I even do that for the safety of, you know, her and baby? And as you continue to look for a provider for as long as you have to, to find the one provider that will be on board with that. Cause you might find a provider who might be willing to do that. You just never know. Mm-hmm. I think if it's like a multiple where you've had multiple cesareans and they're reopening that scar, your chances are like your window is very, very, very small because yeah. you're constantly opening that. But I feel like in this case, it's only been opened once and I just been a number of things. Right. And I don't know, considering how rare it is, there might be something in your operative report that you don't probably aren't even aware of, don't know about. And that could actually be in your favor. That can actually show you like, Hey, yeah, it is. it, It looks like a classical incision, but the way they did it actually is not your typical classical incision. It might have reinforced something. They might have done. You don't really know until you look at that operative report and have some another eyes on it to look at it. Um, mm-hmm. Because VBAC is legal in Texas. They they will allow you to do it. Um, it's just finding somebody who will not um, put their two cents in <laughs> about yeah. it, unfortunately. And birth centers here in Texas too. I'm particularly in your area. they will always consider that risk. They will always consider the rupture Mm -hmm. risk. I know somebody recently who was just at one of the birth centers here in, in your area, as well as my area, and they would let her labor at the birth center. But as soon as she got to a certain point in her labor, they transferred her her over to one of the major hospitals that were close by because Mm -hmm. they just were so fixed on the rupture. They were like, it risks the rupture. It risks it. It risks it. And to me, it was very almost discouraging because it was like, they didn't want to give, it was obviously the mom's choice, but it was like, they just almost were like, we're not taking this on at all, but we'll let you labor here as long as possible. And this is Mm -hmm. probably not what you're going to want to hear, but I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you if it's safe or it isn't safe. Because it really doesn't, it's not anybody else's choice to make, but yours. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like you have to consider all the risks and you have to consider all the information and it's got to be one that you are willing to take. You, unfortunately, this is one you have to make every time you want to add to your family, which is not what doctors are doing today. This is not what doctors are considering today when they do these surgeries, they're not asking the mom, Hey, are you going to want to have more kids? Because if so, then, you know, we got to make this like a possible option for you. Or if you want to, you know, bear more children, how many more children do you want to have after this? And that will help us like figure out how to set you up for success in the future. Um, so this is why VBAC is such a, it's a double-edged sword. And I remember one time, explaining that to somebody like it's good for emergency measures like you know but then at the same time it's also a just a terrible evil that has just not benefited moms and families in the long run which is unfortunate it's just it's a double-edged sword like I said so you have to consider what it is you're the one who has to go through it so what is your mom telling you is it saying Maybe we shouldn't, maybe I should, because there could be a balance. We just have to find that. We have to find what that balance is. And although if you're not able to attempt to be back there, and which it could be out of your control, unfortunately, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. it's probably not going to be in your control, which sucks because it should be in your control. But there are certain elements that you can be in control of. And that's something Mm -hmm. to really, when you are in positions like that, that really to hone in on, like there are things that you can focus on and still make informed decisions about, 
um, that you can make the best out of that experience because VBAC or VBAC is great. Not to vaginal birth is great. Natural birth is great. But at the same time, when we come to these medical interventions, why in my sense, what I try to, and what I'm telling you is like, why do we have to look at them in such a negative way? Does that make sense? Like cesarean is not a bad thing. It's obviously not one that I would willingly choose, but if we have to, because that's our only (laughs) option, why do we think that they're a bad thing? Like, what is the psychological root of that? Like, what is it? Is it because you feel like you failed or does it feel like you can't do it on your own? Or is there something about it in a psychological root problem that like we view these things in a bad way or in a bad light when we probably need them in some, like, this is why they're here. Like, this is why we have them. Not saying we should overuse them or make it an unnecessary um, use of them. Do I believe that they are you? Yes, of course. I think we would agree that they are used for other measures besides necessity. Um, but yeah. for those who need it, why is this a bad thing? You know what right. I'm saying? Like, what is the hidden, hidden thing behind that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do just, I guess I just get so frustrated because, like, I just, really wanted a whole birth and there there's that mm-hmm. grieving process and then there's also the frustration of like I I get annoyed at myself because and maybe it's a pride thing I don't know but I feel like I know so many people who had like non-emergency c-sections mm-hmm. that the doctors called an emergency mm-hmm. and and it was literally the emergency was well she was tired because it was six hours of labor and, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not trying to judge anyone who's had a cesarean after six hours of labor, but it, like, it bothers me when the medical team makes the decisions and um, when it's not necessarily an emergency. <laughs> and, and then I feel like in my situation, like, as far as I'm aware, it was, but I guess I'm just kind of jaded on like, do I trust that it actually was? Or am I just put in this position now of having to make this decision? And and it's not even so much like I'm, I'm not super concerned about having a rupture with baby number two. And I know, I know that it's a possibility. It's a risk that I am willing to take, but I doubt if I'll be able to find a provider who's willing to take it. My concern with a rupture with baby number three is very high. Mm -hmm. Like I'm very concerned about a rupture with baby number three if I've had two classical cesareans. Mm -hmm. And, And so for me, a lot of this isn't about baby number two. It's about number three. Like, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's the subsequent like births that will happen after. Right. It's the yeah. subsequent. And this is why a lot of moms are very much like, well, okay, I've already had two. I might as well just go for the three cesarean. I mm-hmm. might as well just go for the three. And it is safe yeah. to have, I mean, I, I don't, I guess I shouldn't say it is safe to have multiple cesareans. It's not. Every time you open that uterine scar, you're susceptible to more, you know, problems, more issues and, you know, mm-hmm. there are higher maternal deaths when it comes to cesarean. Um, but at the same time, it's like you said, it's this that you wanted something so bad. You want something so, so bad, so bad. Like you yeah. wanted the home birth and there's that grieving process behind it. And you just have to, and I'm, because I've experienced this too, sometimes you just, have to grieve that and not just be mm-hmm. like, well, I needed the, I need the cesarean. So I should like almost kind of like I had my cake, so I should be happy that I had cake. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not yeah. like that at all. It should not be like that. And it doesn't feel like that. It's almost like, well, thank God you and your baby are alive. Well, yeah, I know that. But yeah. at the same time, like I'm also like, it's just this roller coaster of between 
I feel sad about this. I want to grieve this, but I know what the facts are and I know what the truth is. The truth is, yes, my baby's fine. Like the facts are, I needed this cesarean, but you can also grieve. It doesn't, you can't pick one or the other. Does that make sense? Like you can't have, you can't have this mentality of like, well, if I had this, I can't do that. Or if I had this, I can't do that. And in this case, like I had a cesarean, so I can't grieve that I didn't have a home birth. You know, and it's like that's you yeah. can have both. You can do both. And with this whole, you're right. It does kind of put a bad rap sometimes on when they they err on the side of caution, which is we're just going to give her a cesarean because she's tired. And it's like that's just, that has nothing to do with, that's the power is not just all in that provider's hands. The power is also in right. our hands too. So whoever mm-hmm. that is, even if that was the reason why they are wanting you to do a cesarean because you are tired and you are doing these things, then the power really relies on you because you're the one who has to sign the consent forms. Like you're the one who mm-hmm. has to say, yes, I consent to doing this is very rare, but I'm not saying it doesn't happen where you are wheeled into the surgery room without your consent that it does happen it's very rare but at the same time it's you know you have to you're still in control and sometimes moms just are they don't feel like they are in control of that decision and it just really has to do with they just haven't been given the right tools to filter information does that make sense like Mm -hmm filter. Okay. No, this is not a medical emergency. No, this is not. But that also doesn't really apply. It doesn't really apply to me. So like, if I know that I need the cesarean, then that's when I'm, then, then I'm okay with that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, because I know that I needed it or, you know, you needed it. Or if you felt like you, you know what, they kind of just over treated in this sense. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. I was just collateral damage in all of that process. Then next time we make sure that doesn't happen. And yeah. it's not to say, like I had mentioned before, that if we cannot be in control of that, what are some of the things we can be in control that we still have control of? For example, mm-hmm. like a balance. You can find a balance, even if you don't find a provider who will let you attempt to be back. What are some aspects of this cesarean process that you can do? Like there are things after that you can control. So like whether or not you want to do, you know, the eyes and thighs of baby, whether you want to do vaccines, not vaccines, like the skin to skin, like you can still control all those things. And those are things that can bring a lot of healing, a lot of redemption because you're in control. You were, you're in control of those things that you know that you really wanted. Um, And sometimes that can really help us. You can find the balance. You could just say, hey, yeah, I'm going to go in for a scheduled cesarean, but I'm not going to go in when you tell me to. Meaning like, I'm not going to go in at 38 Mm -hmm. weeks. I'm not going to go in at 39 weeks. I'm going to wait until I'm right when I hit 40 weeks. I will go in when I'm 40 weeks because you are in control Mm -hmm. of that decision. You know what I mean? So there's certain, it's about making the best out of your situation and just knowing that, yes, I know this is an overused, um, like means, but in this case, these are things because in my gut and the way that, what I want to err on, whether it's, yes, I want to consider the risk, but still attempt to do it. Even if you find a Mm -hmm. provider that's like, okay, yeah, let's let you do this. Yeah, I think no problem. This shouldn't be a problem. I mean, you could just find the balance of going to the hospital and having a baby in the hospital. And if something, you know, okay, we're not going to do the fetal monitoring or yes, we are going to do the continual. You can still pick and choose on what you want to do. Like, no, we're not going to do the Pitocin because a lot of these studies too Mm -hmm. have to do with. Um, the Pitocin being used because the Pitocin is a synthetic hormone and it causes the uterine, the uterine muscle to contract way more intense. It's not natural labor at all, does not bring on natural labor at all. And that does affect the integrity of the scar because the uterine muscle is being overworked with Pitocin. And that's Mm -hmm. a, that's something 
to consider. So you cannot, you don't have to get the Pitocin. You could wait until you go into labor on your own. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. like, it's just all about finding the balance and finding a provider who can one, take you on after looking at the, the operative report. But two, if they Mm -hmm. are like, no, we, you can't attempt to do this. You can't, it's too risky. It's too dangerous. We feel this is not going to be safe for you. Even if they say no, you could also not listen to them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, really you could, I mean, you'd be, I mean, cause a lot of ruffling your feathers and stuff. And there might be, you know, a dismissal of services, but you know, you could find somebody that could happen. You don't have to do those Mm -hmm. things, but it's about making the best out of the situation as you can, because that's really what birth is about. Birth is about having a positive experience and a positive perspective going into Mm -hmm. it. This is why we say in the birth community that birth is not just a physical, it's a psychological event in, you know, a woman's life, because a lot of it has to do with the psychological process. It's a psychological birth because it's, Mm -hmm. you go, you're at your most vulnerable and you go through all these, all the fears and everything like that, that you never knew that you have had had, or that you have towards the end, have the potential to make or break your birth. And so okay. it's about going into the, your birth, whether it's a cesarean or attempt a trial of, you know, labor after cesarean, they call that a tolac, then the, the is making the best out of it is what I'm saying. So Mm -hmm. let's try to find what that is for you. So even if it is a scheduled cesarean, how can we do a gentle cesarean? And the third, you know, even if you do end up having, you could change your mind too. I think that's something that we, Mm -hmm. as like moms don't realize that we also have the power to do. If you wanted to attempt to do it, you can change your mind. You can say, I don't want to do this. I realize that, that I don't feel comfortable doing this. So we, I, let's just go right into surgery. You could do that. Or Mm -hmm. you can be like, Hey, I'm going to schedule for cesarean, but then realize, no, I want to try to do it. You can change your mind. You can always change your mind always. Right. And every time when you feel like you need to change your mind, just weigh out the benefits, the risks, and as well as the alternatives. What are the, what alternatives do I have available to us? Cause some of us and some moms, don't have the option of we have another option. Like there's no other options. Like mm-hmm. our hospital in our area does not do VBACs at all because they don't have the staff. They don't have like pretty much anybody on call to do X, Y, and Z. And we don't want to travel to different states to go have our baby. We don't want to do that. We can't do that. And so some of us don't have that option. So it's about well, how can we make the best experience possible and the recovery? Because cesarean, we still experience all the same thing in postpartum, you know, it's the same thing. It just, we're double time on the physical aspect, you know, with the major abdominal surgery, um, as well as healing from the internal, you know, wounds that we have from our placenta. And so, and from birth itself, um, So maybe you could go for a gentle cesarean, you know, it really all lies in the decision of, do you want to take on the risk? Is this something that you want to do, you know, and with a third baby, you can make those decisions too. I mean, cause some doctors Mm -hmm. even say, for example, you do have a cesarean with the second one. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and you third, you're like, Hey, I actually want to try for a reback with your third you're going to run through the same cycle again of finding a provider, operative report, like doing all the certain things that you've been doing with your health, you know, making sure that, you know, you are, your body internally is um, preparing for that. And externally, you know, doing all the things that, you know, you had mentioned in your question, you know, taking care of yourself, mm-hmm. making sure that there is um, healing that has happened, a substantial amount of time of healing for that to happen for you and your body and what you feel comfortable with, you know, so you're going to run through this cycle. Like again, mm-hmm. if you decide to do that for your third, even if you have a scheduled cesarean with your third, you're going to run through that cycle again, because it's just mm-hmm. something you always have to consider no matter how many cesareans you've had, no matter how many <laughs> VPACs that you've had, because the more you have cesareans, the more risks you have with that. But the VBACs that you have, there's risk with that. So it just, there's always right. a risk 
when you're a cesarean mom, unfortunately. And it's really a decision that you have to make for yourself. It's not a decision that anybody else can tell you like, yes, it's safe. No, it's not. No, you can't do it. Yes, you can do it. You have to be the one to carry on those risks and, you know, Mm -hmm. listen to your mom gut because even if it tells you one thing and then you feel like it's telling you something else, just go with that and listen to it because that's, that will never let you down. But I mean, I just feel like that and what I want to encourage you is cesarean is not bad when you need it. Cesarean is not a bad thing. There's no negative thing about it. It just, it's the grieving process of like, it sucks because this is what I wanted. I wanted something different. So that's what sucks Mm -hmm. is the grieving process. That's what sucks is all the emotions of feeling like we didn't get what we wanted. That is what like we need to take time to process. And those things are the negative or I wouldn't say negative, but I hope you understand what I mean when I say those are the negative side effects of having births that we don't really not initially had wanted. Yeah, not the cesarean. The cesarean does have negative outcomes sometimes, but Mm -hmm. if we need it, if our baby needs it, then it's not a bad thing, right? I mean, right. Pitocin is not a bad thing if we need it. Epidurals are not a bad thing if we need it. Uh, you know, um, NICUs are not bad if our baby needs it. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable to go through. But it's the feeling of the roller coaster feeling of like, I feel like this, but I know the truth and I know the facts. So I feel like this is the truth is, is that I need this, but I feel like this sucks. This just does not feel good. And just grieving that and working through those feelings and trying to make the best out of your experience as you can for what you do have, because that's the only thing you can really do in certain certain situations like that is just making the best out of no matter what birth you have, making the best of that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I really hope that answers your questions because I know as a VBAC mom, it's time and time again, ever since I've had my first, those are, these are things that I run through. I, and I have run through constantly, constantly, Mm -hmm. and it comes up every single time. And it's, it's definitely when you see the research and when you see the studies, you're like, wait a minute, like, is it, or is it not? Cause I feel like it is, but then sometimes I feel like it's not based off of like what I'm reading here and based off what everybody is telling me. Um, so yeah, I just, I hope that answers your question, Hannah, and I hope that helps in some way. Thank you so much. That's definitely helpful. Yeah. Do you have any more questions or anything that you would like to get off your chest in some way that I can help you with? Uh, No, I just, I I hope that like what I was saying doesn't come across badly for other moms who've had cesareans. Like my frustrations are not with all the moms who've had cesareans. (laughs) It's, I just having lived like in another country and seeing how they have shifted their birthing industry to be modeled after the U S and I've, I've just seen a lot of moms also have, have to go through the consequence of grieving, not having the birth that they wanted. And yeah. So yeah, just thank you for, for everything that you've said is really helpful. Yeah. And I think because it's more of like, cause I understand from what I get from you, it's not, you're not like, oh, shame on you. It's more of like shame on the system. Shame on, shame on the system. That's really what it is. It's shame on the system. And this is something that I, you know, was experiencing, you know, earlier this year was like, I understand like we need to take all these steps and all these precautions. Like I understand we need to do these things, but at the same time, like It's not necessarily I'm so frustrated with you. I'm just frustrated with the policies that have been put in place. I'm frustrated with the things that just don't make sense to me. Like, why would you do that? Like knowing that X, Y, and Z is what's going to probably not make the situation worse, but actually help the situation. But with their policies and everybody in that institution is bound by that. And that's what's frustrating. That's frustrating. 
And yeah. the, <clears throat> and so I know that that's where like the best way that I feel like can describe a feeling like that is like, I'm not yeah. like shame on you. I'm shame on the system. I'm shame on all those things. And unfortunately, if we want to see anything different, we have to go outside of the system. And that's, right. you know, been looked down on. And as we learn through the history of interventions and the reasons why they decided to start doing more cesareans for the the cautionary of like, mm-hmm. oh, it's going to lower the, um, you know, the, what do they call it? The cerebral palsy rate. It's like, it's not changed that at all. Like it hasn't improved it. It hasn't lessened it at all. And the more we've actually have introduced these interventions, you see through the trend that it's actually made things more chaotic and more worse. And it's actually caused more problems and has done like less good than, than what everybody thought it was going to be if we put more hands on it, you know? So it's, but thank God for modern medicine, because when we do need it, it's there, but yeah. yeah, it's that double-edged sword that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, but no, I, exactly. you know, I, of course, yes. Well, I'm so glad that you um, asked this question and that we were able to go over it. And I will send you some links via email just to kind of send you some information about some of the things that we talked about today and maybe provide some type of clarity and some type of rest assurance of, you know, Hey, if this is what we're going to pursue, you know, this will bring us a little bit of peace and, you know, kind of light our path as we kind of walk towards this direction or, you know, help us get on the path in some way. So <laughs> I'll go ahead and send that to you thank via you. email. Um, but it's, thank you, Hannah, so, so much. Unbiased info. So thank you. Oh yeah. No, I get Especially that. Yeah. And I- <laughs> so thank you. Well, and I think the thing that's really hard sometimes with studies is that when you read it, you're like, oh yeah, I totally agree. And then you get to the conclusion and you're like, but wait a minute. Like you just said that this was safe, but then everybody's right. quoting all these different things from this particular study. And then you read the full study and you're like, mm-hmm. but the study said that it was safe. So why are we like making it sound like the study is saying that it's not safe when it is? Yeah. So it's, it's not until you have time to read through all the studies that you're like, Mm -hmm. Wow. So they are misquoting this study or this study is being used in a context that was not intended for. So it's, yeah, it could be a lot sometimes. (laughs) All right, Hannah. Well, thank you so much. And hopefully we'll have you um, on your way over to a birth option that you feel really good about. And yeah, so we will, we uh, are looking forward to hearing that in the future, but take care. Thanks. Hi again. Thank you so much for listening to this great episode. If you had learned something today, please make sure you leave a review in Apple Podcasts and share with another mom friend. Also, pop on over to our private Facebook group, sign up for our email list, and connect with me on social media, which are all linked in the description of this podcast. I can't wait to see you over there and connect with you. Now go listen to your mom gut because wisdom will guide you and chances are it won't let you down. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.